Welcome to the very latest uh, Forever Blue podcast. I make no apologies for the fact that uh, today's podcast may have some negativity in it. So if you're of the uh, the type who thinks that everything's always great and everything should be great and there should be no criticism, then you might not enjoy this one quite as much. Although there'll be a little bit of praise, I suspect, when we get on to Vincent Company's testimonial, which we'll also talk about, and when we look ahead to the games upcoming, particularly the Champions League game at Shakhtar. Uh, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the podcast for the entire season. Very, very appreciative of uh, Dave at Charles. Sorry, charleslouis.co.uk, who are chartered mortgage advisors, who are the sponsors of the, this podcast. They've been very, very supportive of Forever Blue. So obviously, if you're looking at buying a house or you need some advice or you want some advice around anything like that, have a look at their website. Dead easy to find, charleslouis.co.uk. I often put it on Twitter and Facebook and other social media promoting the podcast. So have a look for that. Click on the link. Have a look at the website. See what they do. Maybe ask for Dave, because he's a City fan. And uh, and then hopefully get some expert advice as well. But m very big thank you. Also, thanks very much to Tameside Radio, which is in Ashton, which I do some presenting on. I do a Saturday afternoon show between one and two, which is a chat show. Uh, this weekend, for example, I chatted to Steve Harley, here of Cockney Rebel fame, and I also do an 80s show between 8 and 9 every night, playing 80s music. So I do a few other things other than just uh, city stuff. Um, so thanks very much to, to them for uh, hosting us in their studios for the podcast. I have with me three members of the Forever Blue team. They are Will, who normally, being the Steven Spielberg type, is filming the podcast. We're not doing that this week. Uh, we're just having a rest from the, the filming this week. So Will is now a contributor. We've also got Harlan, who you sometimes see on the Forever Blue videos, the, the vlogs, who's uh, always got an opinion on everything. So thanks very much for coming along. And we've also got Tony from Hot Click Marketing, who's sponsor, or one of the two sponsors, actually, of the, the vlog for this season, the Forever Blue vlog. And as well as doing that, and he was sponsor of the podcast last year, he's very... Uh, generously put forward a competition prize which you could win by sharing or retweeting this particular podcast as we've been asking people to do and also the vlog and that prize is two tickets in the tunnel club for the Watford home game so if you've been uh, entering that and retweeting thank you very much and a big thanks to Tony for offering that that prize that we've been able to offer uh, for people who support us. So without further ado, with the promise that we will talk about Vincent Company's testimonial, uh, maybe one or two other things, uh, as well as uh, the upcoming games, let's get straight in to uh, the defeat, which is an unusual way to start a Forever Blue podcast at Norwich, 3-2 uh, of course. So before I offer any opinions whatsoever, I want to know what you three thought of that particular defeat. So away you go, boys. Yeah, uh, not... not um... Not not great at all, Ian. To be honest with you, um, you know, I'm not saying that at times in the game we didn't perform well um, because we, we we had little passages in the game where we where we looked like ourselves. But for the majority, or shall I say, for the large majority, majority sorry of the of the game against Norwich away from home, we looked um, a lot shabbier than usual, especially at the back. You know, I think um, at the back, um, you know, yesterday we looked um, along the same lines that we looked in 16-17 in Pep's first season. Um, and yeah, there was no cohesion at the back, and it um, yeah, it wasn't great. It's as simple as that, then. Just no cohesion at the back. No, obviously there was there was no cohesion at times going forward as well. You know, uh, certain players not uh, helping teammates out. You know, it is a team uh, performance that um, you know that we've got to critique as well. You know, we're a team, we're a unit, and nine times out of ten we're outstanding. But uh, yesterday, for me, certain players were kind of throwing other players under the bus, if you want to call it that. Well, and, come on, um, let, let's get to the crux of the matter. So at the moment, you've been talking generally in terms of the team at the back, and now you're talking more generally going forward. And now you've just said certain players throwing others under the bus. Who? So Zinchenko, for example, um, not giving Sterling the ball in promising positions, and then when he does eventually give Sterling the ball, Sterling isn't in the best position he could have he could be in, um, which obviously makes him like a worse player. Um, you know, putting him in um, you know positions where you know he's, he's going to struggle to maybe beat a man, or um, you know he's going to struggle to you know affect the game basically. Um, you know, for example, Otamendi and Stones, no communication. I'm going back to the back four now um, you know maybe people will say that Stones put Otamendi in a predicament by passing in the ball for the Norwich third 
Um, I personally have got a view that that was Otamendi's fault. But just all over the pitch yesterday, certain players and individuals weren't helping their teammates out and, and that is always going to affect the team um, as a team. I think for me, I mean, the defence has got a lot of stick in terms of online, social media and from other fans out there. Um, why didn't we buy somebody is the, uh, what I'm seeing a lot of um, in terms of losing Finney, Mangala's gone, etc. Should have bought somebody. But to be honest, yes, there was individual errors yesterday. But for me, the team collectively were poor. I don't think if we had an £80 million defender that would have changed yesterday. Um, yes, you know there was individual errors, but... As a team, we didn't defend as we should do. So if we look at, for example, the first goal, that came from, yes, a corner, but if we rewind before that corner, was a Norwich goal kick, and they played out from the back. Now, they were able to get it from goalkeeper to the six-yard box without a tackle going in. So we weren't defending from the front. We weren't pushing from Sterling Aguero up front to midfield, which left the back exposed. Um, so, yeah, I think collectively it was a poor performance. There was individual errors in there, then they're going to become the scapegoats, which I'm sure we'll talk about individual players. For example, Otamendi, um, was he at fault for the goal? Yes. Was he solely at fault? No. Why would Who didn't give him the shout? Who should have said to him, man on, don't pass it this way, push it that way, Edison, Stones. So there were individual mistakes, but collectively as a team, we just weren't good enough. Um, not often I criticise Bernardo um, and I'm, well, I'm not going to start but I don't think he had the best game he's had for us um, and I can go right across Gundo was another one don't think he uh, had the best game he's ever had for us and even Sergio um, there was a header I think which would have made it 1-1 at the time and he put it right over and again you know, coming from Sergio we just don't see that now Last week's episode, when everyone was giving their predictions as to who they thought was going to win, everybody had City by a two-goal margin. However, everybody also said Norwich were going to score because collectively, we've all most City fans agree, no matter what the other team score, we'll score more. Yesterday, they had three shots on target, scored three. We had 25, scored two. And it was a similar thing with Spurs at the beginning of the season. Again, 30 shots on target, but we didn't put enough away. So... Was it the defender's fault? To a degree, but I think the team didn't play as good as what we expect them to or have come to expect them to do. Um, does that make me entitled to think we should win every game? Um, it's a different argument, but no, I don't think we should. We would win every game, but at the same time, I think we're capable of playing better than we did yesterday. Yeah, um, I have to agree with Tony, really. I think, uh, although some of the defenders are obviously going to take the most of the uh, the slack you might say, for the goals that were conceded. But really, uh, like Tony said, uh, we had 25 chances and we only scored two of them. And some of the chances we had in uh, added time as well. So you've got Sterling running clean for one goal, hitting a daisy cutter that Cruel fell on. You know, he should be getting it away from there, I'd say. We had a couple more clear-cut chances that we really should have scored. And if we had scored, we wouldn't have even been bothered, really, about yeah. the defensive mistakes. It would have been 6-3. Yeah. And we'd have been in it. Uh, dominating attacking team. What do you feel? What, how do you feel generally about the fact that this is one defeat since well, obviously the last one before this was Newcastle? Two hundred twenty-eight um, days. Two hundred twenty-eight days. Uh, so you're getting the two extremes now of reaction. On the one hand, I've seen people. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but I've I've seen people saying, you know, get over it. It's one defeat. Uh, the the gap to Liverpool last season was bigger. Um, it's only September, nobody wins a league. I'm very confident. I'd be completely relaxed. This was completely a one-off, da-da-da-da-da, um, which I'm not, I'm not dismissing that as an opinion. That's a very valid opinion, and I can understand why they say that. I also um, understand why other people are a lot more critical, uh, saying it, you know, this has been coming, that there are, you know, there are big issues since the departure of Vinnie Company. Uh, didn't buy a central defender in in the uh, the summer, yet bought a right back when we didn't really need one. You know that there have been other arguments to this. Um, can you understand why the extremes are? I'll read out one tweet here that um, somebody sent me, which is 
relevant. John Rogers said, sadly, we have the attention-seeking social media nutters just like everybody else. The Blues on Forever Blue, which obviously includes you guys, seem to have a much better perspective. <laughs> I wonder if he'll think that after tonight. <laughs> but either the loons weren't actually at the match or Ian knows how to spot them, which is a nice compliment, I suppose, for me. But I honestly try to reflect people's opinions. That's why I've got three people here tonight who have their own individual opinions. I've not told them what to say. I would never tell them what to say. And sometimes they disagree and sometimes they agree. So have I got a room here of people who all think, what are you talking about? Last time we lost a game was 228 days ago. Or so, so everything's absolutely fine. Or have I got a lot of people who are going to go, hang on, that's just terrible. Um, you know, sack him, get rid of him. Have we got extreme views? Have we, have we got moderate views? Ian, it's it, for me, and I'm, 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 I know you three well, so obviously I know that you, I think that you three will be on the same wavelength as me here. It's not, it's not that we lost. It's, it's how we lost. It's not that you lose. Sometimes it's, 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 it's the manner of the loss, and I think that that's the thing that's frustrated um, the majority of disgruntled City fans. The, the way that we went out, the way that we played, and the fact that. You know, we we are so so good. So, do you see this as even... a one-off, or is this a worrying pattern? I think if we allow it to continue uh, to happen, and we don't correct what went wrong yesterday, then it, it it could be worrying. But I think, and I trust Pep enough uh, to get hold of them now and 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 watch that back because they will analyse it and correct them. And for me, and I may, you know, I put a tweet out last night after the match, after I'd calmed down and and got over the result, and said that even the best coaches sometimes earn their money and, and, and kind of do their best work after adversity sometimes. And this is where Pep now is gonna is gonna is gonna earn his money and, and earn his stripes basically by trying to re-motivate um and redirect a group of players that have come off the back of an outstanding, outstanding uh, running and um you know undefeated streak um and try and turn it round uh, going into the Shakhtar and Watford games. I'm I'm gonna slightly disagree here because whilst I'm not being overreactionary in terms of the result and that side of it because, as I said earlier, you know we did lose. Um, don't think, as I said, the stat was 228 days ago. From that, we went on to win 17 and draw one, so we went 18 games unbeaten. So, can we do it again? We can do. Um, do I think we will? No. Um, I genuinely, we're going to come on to the Shakhtar game later, but I genuinely think we may lose to Shakhtar and then come back to win at Watford. And that's my feeling as it is at the moment, because I think for the back four yesterday, whilst it was a team issue, they didn't seem to communicate and talk to each other. And that's a big issue with your back four. Who's shouting and who's organising? Yes, we've lost Vinny. Um, but who was doing that when Vinny wasn't on the pitch? And, you know, the answer seems to be Laporte. Um, so without him, do we need a leader on the pitch that's going to be saying, you know, telling people, organising Otamendi to say, man on, players coming at you. Um, do I think Pep got it wrong yesterday? In hindsight, yes. And I think even when I saw the team sheet, um, I would have started Kevin De Bruyne. I think he's been by far this season our best player so far. And I now, if the argument is that that Kevin De Bruyne didn't start because of overplaying him, and obviously he'd been on international duty, the counter argument to that is why did Raheem Sterling, for example, start mm-hmm. who'd played for England? Uh, I don't know. Is your honest answer? It's um, confusing to me because there was a few like that within the squad. Um, I mean, you could even argue, I mean, I know they didn't travel, but Aguero and uh, Silva even played on the Wednesday in Silvers, which was uh, after De Bruyne's last game. Um, personally, I think it was Pep rotating with Gundo, um, giving him game time because, you know, he's had a new contract and I know that was one of his issues, the rumours are, is, is game time, which is why he kind of dragged his heels a little bit on his contract. Um, would I have started... Gundo, probably not. Kevin De Bruyne, would he have started Otamendi? Probably not. I would have liked to see Fernandinho at the back. Um, I think we just missed a bit of calm head that could read the game and organise us, really. So my, my issue with the De Bruyne thing is people are saying, ah, well, he should have played and we would have won if he'd have played. Does that mean we're now dependent on Kevin De Bruyne? Does that mean he has to play for us to win against a promoted team? No, because we saw that last season. Exactly, exactly. But However, we're talking about who's in form. Bernardo was in form last season. 
So we didn't miss Kevin De Bruyne as much as we thought we were going to miss Kevin De Bruyne because, you know, you had all the Scousers, well, the titles are, the Kevin De Bruyne is out, etc. A lot of City players were, well, that's uh, City fans were saying, that's our playmaker, how are we going to cope this year? And, you know, this was literally September last year now that we were writing it off because Kevin wasn't playing. But Bernardo stepped up and proved what a phenomenal player he is. But again, let's look at yesterday. Yeah, Bernardo, he had an off game yesterday. Yeah, so. an off game. So who's our informed players? You've got to play who's informed rather than rotate for keeping players happy. Uh, Ian said, as we all heard then, that um, you know that, that certain people are saying that you know players were rested because, uh, or players should have been rested or were rested because they've been on international duty. Well. Cancelo had had played uh, on international duty, and on the flip side of that, uh, people are surmising that he isn't ready yet. And I thought that a few weeks ago that maybe Pep was going to give him a, a pre-season typed introduction to uh, playing first-team football for us. Um, and Cancelo played for Portugal in both games and looks fit as a fiddle. So I don't really see why uh, maybe he didn't get his, his starting berth yesterday. And for me, based on what I know about Cancelo, he would have affected that game yesterday. Um, and going forward. Um, you know, for me, right at this moment in time, Mendy hasn't played for a long time. But for me, he is our strongest left back when he's at his best, left wing back. And Cancelo, for me, from what I know of him, will be uh, our strongest right back. When did you back. see? Uh, when did you see Mendy at his best? Because I've heard this on social media as well. Um, Shinchenko made a couple of mistakes, uh, but. You've got to remember that was the first game Shinchenko has lost in the Premier League since he started. So we can't all of a sudden, after one bad game, Mendy's in. Because for me, whilst I think he has the potential, uh, Benjamin Mendy, we've not seen enough of him to warrant ditching Shinchenko when he's been, you know, probably our well, he has been our number one mm. left back all last season. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Zinchenko. I'm 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 one of the first people to defend Zinchenko when when he's faced criticism in the past, but. For for five games now, I've he he, he looks different. He looks shaky. Um, you know when he, he did contribute to that back line yesterday, not being not being as efficient as it as it as it should have been. But at the same time, you know I've not seen Mendy play this season because he's not. I didn't see Mendy play the back end of last season because he's not Tony. You are right. But Mendy at his best when I did see him at Monaco and in the at the start of last season when he was fit. I mean, what was it, five or six assists in his first couple of games? And that is what Benjamin Mendy will give you. And Cancelo will do the same. At the same time, he can defend. And Walker, for me, pace has saved Walker throughout his career. And going forward, um, you know, is it too late for Walker to learn how to be a defender now? I think we can all agree in terms of Mendy's ability or potential anyway. I think, for me, one of the things that we've got to bear in mind is ring rust. Um, you know, we see players coming back and if we look at the back two yesterday was a prime example of that rustiness of the lack of consistency in playing led to poor errors that could have been avoidable um, and that comes from playing. So for me, the issue I have with Mendy coming straight in and playing is he's going to make those little mistakes that are going to cost us straight away, whereas I would ideally like to see Shinchenko carry on um, and Mendy coming in uh, as a sub and earn his place back because I just think that he's going to have too much rustiness in terms of how much time he's had off. Yeah, I think I've got to agree with Tony there, but more in regards to the, the centre-back partnership. So, obviously, these are the two centre-backs that we're stuck with now, you know, right, rightly or wrongly. Hang on, does Eric Garcia and Taylor Harwood-Bellis, would you consider <coughs> bringing them in? As I, talk I, I don't see them as premiership quality defenders yet. You wouldn't want to take the risk? No, not yet. I think we, we have, the, they might not be seen as world-class, but I think Otamendi and Stones are very, very good central defenders and I think we just need to give them the time. And if, and if we, we may have a couple of games coming where we make a few mistakes, but that's the only way anyone's going to iron out the mistakes by letting them play and letting them get that. I suppose it's important, therefore, to follow up what the question I asked to Harlan before was whether this was uh, a worrying trend or a one-off bad day I, at the office. You two haven't talked about that. I you? had an hour yesterday after the game where I was annoyed. I t you know, turned the football off, didn't look at my phone, started overthinking about the chances we should have taken, etc. And then for the rest of the day and today, all I've been annoyed about is the reaction on social media. That's... That's the thing that's winding me up the most. It's it's one loss over 200 days. 
if 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 we if we hit a bad run of form and in a couple of weeks we've lost four games out of six, then you start thinking that things need to change. So my question is, can you do? Is that what you think is going to happen, or are you confident that City? I'm confident straight back to winning. I think it was. Uh, I think Rodri's come out and said. Um, when 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 a big team loses a game, you tend to go and kill the opponent the next game. The word he used was kill. So hopefully we kill. Don't them. do that literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With regards to uh, the centre back partnership, Ian, for me, like I said um, earlier to you, it does um, it does worry me a bit. Um, I raised my concerns about Otamendi. Uh, when we played Bournemouth and I said that against better opposition um, we'd be punished or he'd be punished for their mistakes it's happened on a few occasions for me now when we've won the games and it's been overlooked for me yesterday Norwich um, in my opinion are a better side going forward than Bournemouth at this moment in time and they look very efficient very good some great individual players and against them players yesterday Otamendi was exposed and punished going back to the to the way that that third goal was scored People will say, and going back to what Tony said, should he have been given a shout? Well, for me, you are responsible for your own movements on a pitch. And if Otamendi is relying on Stones and Edison to give him a shout, then 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 for me that's that's quite poor because if you if you actually watch the footage back, which a lot of City fans might not have done because you don't want to rewatch the highlights, I actually watched it and you see Otamendi take a look, he sees Buendia and then turns round, receives the ball from Stones, hesitates on it. When there's a bounce pass back to Edison, a square ball back to Stones, or he could turn out towards that left-hand side. So for me, I attribute that mistake strictly and solely down to Otamendi. That's the third goal. What about the first one? What about the corner? Yeah, for because me... Because a lot of people have been saying, again, on social media, I, 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 in fact, I'm sure I've got a statistic somewhere which I'll chuck in when I find it, but uh, a lot of goals are conceded by City at set-pieces. Set pieces. Yeah, and we, we're poor at attacking set-pieces as well, Ian. Um, In fact, here you go. Fifth, this is from James on Twitter. 55% of our last, last 29 goals, that's more than half, have been conceded from corners. What a shocking statistic. It's all well and good playing beautiful football, but it's crucial that we fix this defence based on yesterday. We've defended poor against the high pressure, not good. Now, when... Rodri came in, and I'm going to ask you about Rodri in a minute, but when Rodri came in, one of the strengths that he allegedly was going to bring in was to bring in height and power. Now, we've seen him, obviously there was the foul in the Tottenham game when clearly he was pushed over and he likes to take that near post position to flick on. Um, but in the defensive areas, surely he should be in there dominating along with Otamendi and Stones or whoever the centre-backs were. But I don't really see an awful lot of evidence of it. And if I if I look at the, the, the goal that we considered from that, that header, I ask myself, where was John Stones? Though I must admit, I find myself asking that quite a lot of times when City can see goals. Where is John Stones? Even though he might not make an actual mistake, he, he never seems to be there. So that's my question about, about John Stones, because you've fingered Otamendi quite a lot so far in what you've been saying. You know, it's Otamendi, Otamendi, Otamendi. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot more to it than that. And, and you know what? It upsets me as well, because when we first signed Nicholas Otamendi, I was I was a massive fan of his. And, you know, he, he, was, he was tipped to be that fantastic header of a ball, not only in the attacking phase, but also in the defensive phase as well. He seemed to be a lot more physical when we first signed him as well. And for some reason, that seems to have, have gone out of his game. It's also his decision-making that, 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 that annoys me at times as well. And the fact that he'll dive into challenges still at this moment in time, even though the risk of making them challenges is probably 60-40 in favour of the opposition. Um, with regards to Rodri, you know, not winning um, the headers, or shall I say not clearing the danger with the height and um, stature that he's got, maybe, maybe that, that, that is a problem. Um, I'm going to throw another thing in here now and, and I'm going to be out of step I'm sure with all of you in what I'm going to say so I'm going to sit back I'm going to light the blue touch paper and I'm going to see how you react to this yesterday the Manchester Evening News gave Rodri man of the match for City and he's had quite a lot of plaudits in terms of his performances so far um, you, you mentioned about Stones and, and Otamendi as a central defenders towards the end of last season it was Vincent Kompany, Laporte and in front of those two Fernandinho and I thought that those three were absolutely crucial both defensively and going forward Rodri is now slotted into the Fernandinho role, we can come back to the central defensive roles later if you want but for now I want to, to question Rodri, I can see 
why people quite like Rodri. He keeps possession well. He, he's he's hard to shrug off the ball. But I believe that Fernandinho, this is just my opinion, is far more forward thinking. Just like Yaya Toure was in uh-huh. his pomp. And Yaya was such a crucial player in City's great team under Mancini and to a certain extent under Pellegrini. When Fernandinho came in, he played slightly different than Yaya. He doesn't do the long busting runs and, the, and sailing him into the top corner and beating everybody. But he has very good forward vision and is often two passes away from a goal. And keeps, and more importantly to me than anything else, keeps the tempo ticking and really makes it move fast. So he's always looking at forward. Rodri tends to play it sideways and backwards. Now you might make the argument that that's because he's new, he's not settled in yet, that that will come. And that may all be true, and I hope it is. But at the moment, I think City are missing, as well as Laporte and company, who are huge misses, I think they're missing Fernandinho big style. And at some point in this debate today, you're all going to talk about Fernandinho potentially playing at centre-back, um, you know, to, to, to cover for one of the, the defensive problems. I'm suggesting that's the last, not not because you can't do it, but that's the last place you need to play Fernandinho. You need to put him back in his key role because I think that is absolutely crucial and I think they're missing it. And then you'd you'd prefer to play Rodri in that in that yeah, centre half position because yeah. of his height and and like you said that he's he's difficult to shrug off the ball and he can play backwards and and, and play safe. I don't see why that would would be a problem. But the the, the thing for me as well is I actually think Rodri. Uh, what I didn't complete the point is that I I actually think he's a little bit of the problem at the moment. I think City didn't get the ball quickly enough forward at, at Norwich. Uh, they've not done it as as well in other games. All right, there hasn't been a defeat at the end of it, so we've all come away saying, well, they won. What you're on about? Nothing to complain about. But I still missed that sort of speed and incisiveness. And I've heard people around me saying, they're playing too slow. This is too slow, the tempo. Lots of people saying it at Norwich around me, certainly at the weekend. And I I thought, yeah, that's true. And it, it's Fernandinho to me. And we're mi- Well, with Fernandinho not being in the side, we're missing that aggression as well. And I don't mean that aggression in terms of killing players and, 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 and severely hurting players. I mean that aggression to win the ball back. You know, he that, knows when to do a tactical foul. He does, and also, yeah, tactical fouls are, are a big part of football. Not only for us, you know, people who try and 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 play, um, you know, get on their eye horses and say that that we're you know we're the only side that do it. Fernandinho's one of the main culprits, but people have done it in the past. People do it week in week out. Every side has a player that will that will be the player that will take the yellow card for the team, take one for the team as we often call it. And Fernandinho is that player, but he has that aggression, he has that desire to 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 win the ball back and be physical and get a grip on players. And against Norwich, we needed to to be like that against certain Norwich players, especially players like Campwell, Buendia, and that physicality for me wasn't there in midfield. But uh, well. I, well, I completely understand where you're both coming from with this one. However, you don't agree. <laughs> well, I, I, I do to a, I do to an extent because I think Fernandinho is our best player in that holding midfield role. Um, however, that being said, I think Rodri has started really well for us. I think there's parts of Fernandinho's game that Rodri doesn't have at the moment, but that will come with time. I do think he needs to learn and also adapt to the team because. Nobody comes into a new team and then starts kind of bossing the game from the midfield as a new person, whereas Fernandinho had the respect of uh, his teammates to tell people where they should be, where the ball's going, and they knew and they had that connection to pass the ball out and know somebody's going to run onto it from there, whereas Rodri doesn't necessarily have that understanding yet. And I think that whilst shipping him out and putting Fernandinho there um, might solve the issue. It doesn't necessarily help the player in terms of adapting and then him coming in later on. This is why, for me, I think Fernandinho should be within the centre-half with Stones teaching and controlling the game from the back and giving Rodri those advice and tips to make him that much more of a better player and and advising him on those uh, balls to go forward because was Rodri at fault for one of the goals? Potentially because the ball kind of bobbled past him, didn't make a tackle, um, which then led to Shinchenko giving the corner away, which obviously they scored from. So you can say, well, he was at fault for that. But then at the same time, that ball came back from the keeper and Norwich playing it out. So was Aguero at fault for not pressurising the keeper or Sterling? And except, so you can pinpoint individuals right across yesterday. And I don't think anybody came out of the game with 
Um, for me, anything higher than six out of ten, and that's you know out of our whole eleven. Um, I think one thing I've been thinking of is um, basically Pep's major signing of every summer didn't properly get brought into the squad till November, December. So when you think about when Sane first came, we didn't see anything of him till that Arsenal game in December. Same with Bernardo Silva. You know, we were thinking, what we bought, what have we bought this guy for? We've already got Silva and De Bruyne until November, December. He really started to get into the swing of things. Uh, it seems like he's done the same thing with Cancelo. You know, it makes sense. Let him have his let him have his bedding in period. Let him learn his teammates. Let him learn the way we play. It feels like Rodri, because of the amount of money he's been bought for, he's he was seen as the instant quick fix replacement for an aging Fernandinho. And it's a bit unfair, really. It's a bit unfair what Pep Pep sort of stuck him in the middle and said, "This boy will solve our problems." Yeah. And obviously he's not going to because he's he's a young lad from Spain learning the language. Was there a problem with Fernandinho last year? I mean, I know he's getting older, no. and I know that eventually you've got to you've got to replace him. But I actually thought Fernandinho was playing superbly. Yeah, I, so why you didn't need to replace I, him? I got the impression when we first signed Rodri, it was going to be a long term thing. It was going to be a, a phase mm. Fernandinho out and bring Rodri in, where it almost seemed to happen. Right, you're in now. You're in the squad. Fernandinho's so he brings, gone. He brings Cancelo in, for example. And he doesn't say, right, you're straight in and uh, Kyle Walker's out. Yep. But with Fernandinho, he's, done it. he's basically done, yeah. Fernandinho's gone now and in comes Rodri. He, sh- he should have given him at least a couple of weeks just for Fernandinho to... Yeah, on the same wavelength as Willie and 100% and, and yourself and I'm, I'm supposing Tony as well... Um, I do, I do think that um, you know that, that that hasn't that hasn't been done in 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 Fernandinho's case, and I thought that Rodri was going to be brought in to be like a rotational central defensive midfield player, and they would play depending on the opposition. But it seems like Rodri is always going to be that. You know, if you would get like me and Jess play a game, we guess the team sheet, and every single week now I've said Rodri, Rodri every week because I know that he will be playing, and for me. You know that 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 is is upsetting because I, I love Fernandinho and against certain opposition uh, or shall I say certain opponents, I think that Fernandinho will be better equipped to deal with the um, to deal with the problems that that opposition would cause us. And yesterday is a key example of that. A lot of the debate that's been happening has has also centred on Kevin De Bruyne. Obviously, Raheem Sterling played for England, and the argument might be that Kevin De Bruyne needed a rest. Um, to me, you pick your strongest eleven. Um, especially in the Premier League and especially away from home. And ahead of that game at Norwich, I thought, this is a team that has just come up. They're in their honeymoon period. Uh, They've got really nothing to lose. Uh, They've got a highly motivated manager. Yesterday, they had injury problems as well. So it was an absolute uh, sort of hit to nothing for them. That's the way they would have looked at it. They expected to lose the game. Everybody did. So they absolutely went for it. Against Watford at home, Probably City will win again, no matter what. Um, Shakhtar's a different one. Uh, Everton away is the next sort of challenging league game, although as we've recorded this now on a Sunday night, they lost today at Bournemouth. So we don't know whether they're in the mood to bounce back or whether they're on a bit of a downer and their manager's under a bit of a pressure. But either way, Everton at Goodison Park is another challenge. So at the moment, you know, City have to show their mettle, that's for sure. And if I was to ask you now, you three, to pick your 11 for the Everton game. Now, this is assuming everybody's fit, apart from Laporte and Sane, and you don't have to consider rotation, and we don't know what's happening in the next two league games, but assuming that we're talking about the next challenging away game, what 11 do you pick? Well, I said I said that, you know, I'm, I'm saying Cancelo probably should have played. Hang on, hang on. Edison in goal. Edison in goal, yeah. Right, who's your right back? Um, Three of you. I'm, I'm, I'm saying Cancelo, yeah. You're all going for Cancelo. Yeah, Cancelo, yeah. I'd go for Kyle Walker. Okay. Um, I'm going for Kyle Walker because I, I think of the back four that played at Norwich, I thought he was actually the least worst of the four because I do, do agree that the back four yeah, I do agree didn't play particularly well. And Kyle Walker at the moment is is used to the system and I'd be a little bit scared after a defeat going into your next game, bringing in a, another new dimension to that back four. So I'd stick with Kyle Walker. I wouldn't play Stones and Otamendi together uh, against Everton because they, they've got some frightening players in that in that front line of theirs. But f- something's telling me that Pep is going to um, because he'll want to right the wrongs. Um, what would you do? I would see... 
you've got to play Fernandinho there then because I can't see Pep playing Rodri there and Fernandinho in the middle no, of the no, park no, like no, you're what saying. Do you think? I don't want you to well, that's what I mean. Pep. So I, what I, would you pick? I'd play Fernandinho there with Stones. I'd agree. Um, just going back on to what we were saying earlier, I think for me, I completely get why Rodri started. He's had a full pre-season with us. He's a Pep player in that sense. He didn't need that time to adapt. Uh, whereas Cancelo coming, I remember Pep saying in his press conference he hadn't had a pre-season. He seems to be match fit now. He played for Portugal, so we'd assume we start to see him now. But I just think that as good as Fernandinho is, that Rodri was bought as a natural replacement, but also what we've got to bear in mind here as well is Pep playing the man of management system and looking at Shakhtar coming ahead. Now, I know he always comes out and says, we've got this game in front of us, I don't look ahead and that side of it, but anybody that watched All or Nothing knows they do look ahead and they do rest players with one eye on another fixture. And I think for me, Fernandinho will be starting come Shakhtar um, and that's why he didn't start at weekend really. I think uh, we'll see... Rodri start at Watford um, and similarly with Everton I don't think he's put in a bad performance to not warrant to start you can put him slightly to blame for the first goal because he was covering that near post um, and when the ball came in he ran away from the near post in that sense and kind of rather than keeping his position um, tried to attack the ball didn't come off and that's where they scored from so you can say he was at fault for that but at the same time then you could say well Shinchenko had the time to clear the ball so he's at fault or again rewind back all the way to Aguero so um, who would I start? I'd agree, Edison in net. I'd start Cancelo. Walker's had two poor games for me. Um, saying he was the best out of yesterday's back four isn't necessarily putting him in any great light, unfortunately. I think he was shocking in terms of keeping that line. He was directly keeping players on side, causing another goal. Um, so I'd definitely want to see Cancelo there. <clears throat> I would see Shinchenko at left-back. Um, wouldn't get rid of him at all um, and Fernandinho and Stones and let Rodri learn from Fernandinho and control that game from the back as for midfield I'd be starting De Bruyne again um, don't think we should rotate for the sake of rotating to be honest I find it very difficult if I if I was to carry on naming my team I would find it very very difficult to pick two central defenders because my big concern is that Vincent Company and Laporte are just on another level from the two who at the moment are playing. Um, maybe that's a confidence thing. I don't know. Vincent Company was a magnificent leader and I think that made a big difference. Yeah. And I think uh, David Silva, as much as we love him and the players have picked him as the captain. And I, again, I understand that because I suspect the respect that they have in the camp for David Silva is on another level. Um, you know, they could have, I suppose, gone for Aguero. But actually, I think on, at the moment... The best candidate to be captain is Fernandinho. Fernandinho would be the first name on my team sheet for all the games that are coming up. Um, at left back, until Mendy's fit, I think Zinchenko is the only you know, reasonable alternative. I've seen people saying, well, what about Angelino? He came back during the summer. Um, I haven't seen an awful lot of him playing in Holland. I saw him a little bit on TV in pre-season. Uh, and obviously I watched him a lot when he was at the EDS and, and I have my concerns about Angelino so I think I'd stick with uh, Zinchenko uh, before, in front of that obviously the rest of the midfield you pick your strongest ones sort of pick themselves to me um, Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva, Bernardo Silva um, Sergio Aguero um, you know th th those, all those players are just automatically on the team sheet as far as I'm concerned it's a difficult one though, Ian, because like you say, you're not going to be able to please everybody, are you? You know, people are going to have a constant difference in opinion on who should play, who shouldn't play. You've got to look at the Everton side and and look at what problems they could cause us and pick your side based on that. But you've also got to look at how best we can win that game. Um, and even though somebody might be the best player in that midfield they might not have the attributes to beat Everton. That's just the way I'd personally pick a side if I was in control of that. Um, Kevin um, will probably play against Everton. Um, David Silva, for me, didn't have a great game against Norwich. Who did? Um, nobody really, but I can see... <laughs> I'm imagining that you're going to think that David Silva was the best 
on the pitch. Yeah, well, certainly the the most effective City player. Yeah. I don't think he did anything wrong in that game. But I don't. I think he misses Sane. I think Sane was a great outlet for for David Silver. Op, tends to operate on the sort of inside left, if you use that old term, position, and slotting in a fast approaching Sane to bomb into the box was perfect for David Silva. And Raheem Sterling playing on the left and cutting in doesn't really work as well with David Silva. I also saw people saying yesterday on social media, and I agree, that Raheem Sterling is far more effective on the right. He's played a lot of games recently on the left, and it's worked. And let's be honest, Pep, and I, and I say this with no hint of irony or sarcasm, is an absolute genius. Who am I, who are any of us, really, to question uh, Pep Guardiola? But what's the point of us sitting here and doing a podcast if we don't? Because I also look at, at, at Pep's leaving Kevin De Bruyne out of that game and, and mm. just I'm completely and utterly baffled by that. Um, I, I just don't see any any reason for that now. You know, there have been other games when I've looked at, at Pep's team selection and thought, what? And then I've actually said to people, either on the vlog that I do or just privately, listen, he could pick any 11 he wants. This guy always gets it right. No problem. Yesterday it didn't work. So now we are all sitting here sort of analysing it and, and finding fault with it and hoping that this is a complete one-off and that the comments of the players along the lines of, will now come back stronger than ever. And we saw what happened after the Newcastle game last season, straight wins after that. And if that happens, then listening back to this podcast in six months from now is going to make us all look, or certainly me, look completely stupid. But at the moment, I do have concerns of the bigger picture of the vulnerability City have in central defence because of the lack of a central defender being signed in the summer. I don't understand at all why we sign a right-back for all that money but not sign a centre-back. And, and now with the absence of Sane and Laporte, I, I think City have been weakened. I can, I've seen this again and I completely understand what you're saying. I mean, for the most part, yes, I, I, I completely agree. Um, Pep is a genius. However, let's have a look at, for example, Spurs away last year in the Champions League. You know, everybody, I think, uh, came out of that game saying he got the selection wrong at that point, um, thinking we went for the draw rather than going for the win. Um, and for me, yesterday was a prime example of getting the selection wrong. Look, he's human, he makes mistakes. Did we make a mistake not signing a centre-half? My opinion, no. Um, I don't think if we signed, let's say, for example, Dillet um, from uh, who went to Juventus, would him being on the pitch yesterday have made any bit of difference? Probably not. We've got to bear in mind between Stoes and Antemende that you know it's a £70 million partnership there. And Let me ask you this, Tony, then, because my job's to challenge everything yeah. you people say, right? If Vincent Company had been on the pitch yesterday... Do you think that would have made a difference? Well, I was coming on to that. I think there's... Uh, <laughs> yes, I do think it would have made a difference because I think what we're confusing here is mm. talent and leadership. Um, are the centre-halves talented enough to be playing for Manchester City? Yes, they are. Do they? You know, Does Otamendi have a mistake in him? In my opinion, yes, because he goes to ground too quickly. Um, but you know, Pep's kind of training that out of him. We see him doing it less and less. The difference for me with Fernandinho, Vincent Company, is a leader on the pitch. So when you go 1-0 down, we all can straight away picture Vinny clapping his hands, shouting, come on lads, we can get back into this. Yesterday, I didn't see that off anybody. I didn't see anybody trying to pull the team along. And this perhaps is what you're alluding to in terms of Fernandinho being middle of the park, being that leader and pushing them on. Now... Is Silva one of the greatest players to ever play for City? Yes, David, I'm talking about here. Um, would he have been my choice for captain? Probably not, but obviously I can understand why the players have picked him. I just don't see him as vocal enough to be a captain that I would want of a club. I, for me, a captain's got to be that person pulling the team on, sometimes single-handedly dragging them, which Vinny did so great, and I just don't see that with David. I could be wrong, because I had a similar opinion with uh, Delph, and again, looking at that all-or-nothing documentary, I saw uh, Delph in a different light, shouting in the dressing room, etc. So I could be completely wrong about David. I just don't think, for me, he's the, a leader. I can see why he's a captain, but not necessarily a leader on the pitch that we need. Um, just going back to the centre-backs... <laughs> Um, company, I think he tweeted or gave an interview the other day where he basically said um, we were in a bizarre position to have four world-class centre-backs. There isn't another mm. club in the world that had that. four world-class centre-backs. 
and even Real Madrid, they have they have two world class centre backs and they have two backup centre backs. So I, I think it's almost where we come to that position of being City and being the richest club in the world. Oh, we, we've we've only got three. Let's go buy another fourth. I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, but the problem with not signing a centre back was, I mean, Danilo last season I thought was perfectly adequate as a cover right back. So rather than spend the money, and City are restricted by FFP, despite being the richest club in the world, so they can't just go and buy everybody, even though that's what a lot of the media seem to perceive. Instead of spending that money on a right back when they already had Danilo, I'd have signed a centre back, not because of needing four. Uh, world-class centre-backs but the fact that that had gone, already gone down to three meant that when one of them gets injured playing a game every three days you're not able to then rotate those centre-backs so regardless of what happened at Norwich regardless of the blame game regardless of what we think of Otamendi and Stones the fact is that there are at the moment only Otamendi and Stones unless you bring a kid in or you play somebody out of position so you're suggesting that Fernandinho should go in that position he's untrue tried as a centre-back um, you know Taylor Harwood Bellis and Eric Garcia Garcia's played in the first team at centre-back albeit in the Carabao Cup etc he's relatively untried Taylor Harwood Bellis great prospect that he is hasn't played in a serious first team game so therefore he's untried as well so we're down now to two even if you describe them as world-class centre-backs although they didn't look like that at Norwich those are the only two that there are. So you can't rotate. You can't take one out because they're off form. You can't. What happens if one of them two gets injured? Where do you go exactly. to then? Well, this, this is why, and this is why I'm saying that not not signing a centre half and not assuming that injuries could happen was naive. And that's why you know it's annoyed me a bit that we've limited we've limited our own you know defence basically. We've limited our own options. With regards to selecting centre halves, we let Sandler go out on loan. Tossin went out on loan. Maybe um, those were as big a mistakes as anything. Mangala went on a free. He he was fit. He got himself fit as a fiddle. He got himself raring to go. And you know, a lot of City fans would probably say to me, "What are you going on about? Mangala was Mangala was crap. Mangala was rubbish." Well, I'll tell you something. Mangala, it, from what I can remember, didn't make half as many mistakes as Nicholas Otamendi's made this season already. And the reason why Mangala was dropped is because. Primarily by Pellegrini was because of an own goal away at Hull after an outstanding performance against Chelsea, and then Mangala was 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 kind of given a label, and he was never allowed to 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 get the albatross from around his neck, and he was given such a such a hard time, and for me personally, from looking at them both side by side, Mangala all round is a better centre half than Nicolas Otamendi, and I'm going to throw that out there, and I mean it hundred percent. You're talking about people giving Mangala a label and it's sticking. That's what we're doing to Art Mendy in the 100-point season. He was our best centre-back. Yeah. He, he, he's not a bad defender. He's not a bad defender, but what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to say that we can't criticise one player and then and then get rid of one and say good riddance to you and then and then try and defend one that's done the same thing and then say that we would. Oh, we can't say that about Art Mendy because he, we've, we've got to put up with him now. It, you know, for me, I don't want to. I'm, I'm not a critical. I'm not a critical fan. I don't want to criticise anyone. I want everyone to play well. I want everyone to have a good game. But you know, for me, we let a great centre half go that could now be another option because you know, he's crap because well, he's not good enough. And now I'm kind of disagree because this great centre half couldn't get into the Everton squad. Um, so for me, Mangala wasn't necessarily a ideal replacement. I think when we're looking at the centre halves we had coming into the season. Otamendi, Stones and Laporte. The talk was always, if we're getting another one, it's only going to be when Otamendi goes, because the rumours was he goes to Argentina. Now, looking at his performance yesterday, for me, Otamendi didn't look too happy. So whether he's happy at the club or that would be a different story. Should we have signed a centre-half? I don't think we should have. Yes, I know Laporte has got injured, but he potentially wasn't injured for this season. So we'll play the hypothetical here. If we would have signed another centre-half, whose position is that taking? Is it going to be then Laporte and the centre-half we didn't sign or Laporte and Stones, Laporte and Obstander? Because they can't keep four centre-halves happy. The only reason it's worked for us in the past is because Vinny's injuries and he was happy not to be playing every three days because he's got to manage his body. Whereas you're not going to get an £80 million player that can do that. And that, for me, was the main reason for the club not getting a centre-half, is keeping them all happy. Well, that's what Since I mean. Since he went for Maguire, didn't they, in this summer? They didn't get him. 
if City had signed Maguire, would it not have been Maguire and Laporte? And the other two would have been the two backups. If we'd have signed Maguire, somebody would have gone. I reckon not Amendi would have been would have gone. Yeah, 100%. But then Stones becomes the backup, and it yeah, would have been those two in all the big games. But we're not limiting ourselves again there. One goals, Otamendi then goals. Like going back to what I was saying then, Tone. Like we used Mangala when Company got injured. We played him against Bristol City. He played for about five or six games and didn't put a foot wrong for me. So we used him last time. Pep, we, Pep this is Pep we're talking about. Pep used him for six games, and then after that, dismissed. But Pep used him out of necessity because we had nobody else. And this We've is got where, nobody else now. Yeah, but again, this is where Ian was saying in terms of some of the kids there, are they going to step up? Chances are no, because that's why Fernandinho is being converted into this centre-half now, is he's now going to be our third. And we may start to see Garcia in the Carabao Cup, but until we've seen him in a couple of League Cup games, we're not going to see him in the Premier League. I just think that... Pep creates players like, for example, the left back issue. And we, you know, a couple of seasons ago, we were all saying, Mende, we've left ourselves exposed at left back. And then Pep saw Shinchenko and turned him to arguably, you know, one of the best left backs in the league. One of, obviously, there's plenty of uh, others in there <coughs> in terms of last season, but he was our best left back. So I've got faith for, say, essentially in Pep that he's going to have the right partnership. My final word, because we'll draw a line under it here at Norwich, is that obviously with the games coming up, I think if City get their act together going forward in terms of dominating possession again and finishing their chances and being the brilliant side that they are when they go forward, the defensive problems don't matter as much because... Um, mm. City have had Otamendi and Stones play together before with Zinchenko and Kyle Walker, the same back five, but have not been exposed before. And I still maintain that Rodri is actually the problem because City have lost that forward momentum. There might be something a bit more to it. There might be also the hangover of they've just won back-to-back titles. There was a big concern at the end of the first title that there would be a hangover and that Pep wouldn't be able to get them going again, and they did. We're now into the third, going for a title again against the Liverpool team. As much as we might not like Liverpool, we've now got the biggest gap in Premier League history after five games, five points. It's never been done before. Who've started exceptionally well, who look as if they're going to carry on and, and, and obviously have massive motivation because they missed out so narrowly last year. So they're going to carry on with massive motivation. Are City going to be able to match that this season? But what they should also look at, Ian, as well, um, is that uh, you shouldn't count your chickens before the arch because we didn't expect to lose Laporta. And it's so, it's so easy done when other players in the team, for example, Zinchenko that day was out of position, Laporte came over and covered, freak accident, freak injury. Don't count your chickens because it could happen to any of your centre-halves and then you're in a position um, that you've got to try and solve. I think even without injuries, we're, again, with Liverpool, if they go the rest of this season and they don't lose a game or they don't drop a point, then to quote Pep, chapeau, because they deserve to win the title in that case because... To not lose a game from the start of the season to the end, and obviously we've lost one and drawn one. Um, yeah, sixteen points last season. We've dropped five after five games. Yeah, and I've, I saw the statistic saying that we've conceded more seven goals is the most we've ever conceded at this point of the season uh, under Pep, especially. But are Liverpool going to go the rest of the season without? Dropping points, they can do. You know, we did uh, eighteen and odd games in a row without dropping points. Do I think they will do it? Probably not, because again, they've got the mistakes in them. Um, and I also just think that we've they've got we've got to play them twice. So you know, with there's potentially six points we can claw back straight away. Do I think we can do? Yes, because on our day, for me, we are the best team in Europe, if not the world. Right, on that positive note, we'll end that part of the conversation. I'm sure we'll come back to it or things like that. Let's quickly, uh, because the time has really got on. It's been an interesting discussion. There'll be some people who say it's been far too negative. There'll be other people saying it's not been negative enough. So, can't please everybody. Hopefully, if you've listened to something and you want to comment on social media, that devil that is social media, then feel free to do so. Um, quickly, the Vincent Company testimonial. Um, was it the right tone? Did you enjoy it? Was it what you expected to be? Particularly you two youngsters loved who it. have never seen testimonials before. Got to say, I loved it. Seeing all the it's like 2008 all over again, Harlan. Oh, yeah. So that was obviously like mine and Harlan's generation growing up. Stephen Ireland, Shawnee Wright. 
That was brilliant. And I know they didn't. Obviously, Shawnee was knackered after about 30 minutes. Stephen Ireland played all game, put in a shift. He can Three win. minutes. <laughs> Three minutes. He was, he, was, he was putting his hand up. And I, I also appreciated the fact, obviously, Neville and Carragher and all them, like, they got a little bit of stick, but they also got a clap as well. You know, it wasn't completely sort of vitriolic and hatred. There was a bit of, it, I think, Paul, the banter booing as much 50, as... 50,000 people. Yeah, brilliant. Amazing. Brilliant. And for Tackle for Manchester, which is, a, which is a great charity to help the homeless, Andy Burnham, the, the, the Greater Manchester uh, Mayor and Vinny of, of, of are really behind this. Um, and I, I totally applaud that. But for 50, I mean, forget the, the charity, which I don't dismiss. 50,000 people, you know, and they talk about empty seats. 50,000 people came to support a non event of a game, let's be honest, for a great, great hero. Uh, I, I think that's man- magnificent. It's fantastic. And uh, Ian, we all went for our own reasons as well. And that was to see Shawnee Wright, Stephen Ireland, Martin Petrov, a player that I didn't even think was going to be playing. Um, he opens the scoring Could has a game. great game uh, may I add as well um, a job for us yesterday, I mean, he probably would but I mean that that was one of the best games I've ever seen Petrov playing a City shirt and it was in Vinny's testimonial I mean if he wants to come out of retirement and uh, and yeah sign for us again then uh, well no I'm only kidding uh, but yeah no great and like like Will said just to see them players and chant them names see Benjani do the old celebration again um, was fantastic and um and yeah, uh, that was like watching typical City where we were trying to snatch a point yeah. in the 90th minute and we managed to do it. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, the crowd, I think that's just testament to Vinny. Uh, I know it's a testimony, it's a testament to Vinny, obviously, but um, in terms of the crowd, I think that just shows what Vinny meant to us as City fans. Um, I know it was for a good cause, but guarantee you, you know, nine out of every ten people there were there for Vinny not necessarily the cause and I think that for me just shows what a player and, and a captain he has been for us um, in terms of the testimonial overall um, there wasn't as many much booing um, if I'm honest in terms of the ex-United players I did think they were going to get a bit more stick and even at one point Carrick was putting his hands to his ears to kind of goad it and do that pantomime villain kind of thing um, I just what I didn't like about it was it was mid-season. I, for me, I don't understand why we didn't do it in August or out of season and have more of a family atmosphere and a bit more pre-match build-up where they could have done it. Because um, the women's game, for example, seemed more of that friendly testimonial atmosphere than the testimonial did uh, on the Wednesday. And I think a large part of that was it was a midweek game that was of a dead rubber obviously it didn't matter who won and who didn't we were all there to support Vinny and see a lot of the ex-players and I think that would be my only critique was the time of year just didn't make sense for me having it mid-season and obviously that will explain the absence of uh, Dzeko, Kolarov yeah. Uh, Mario Bellatelli and Milner uh, all because of that issue finally we're up to the, the next game which is Shakhtar Donetsk um, obviously City go into it off the back of this defeat we've talked a little bit about what team you'd pick um, City lost their opening game against Lyon last season at home and it didn't prove to make any difference in the end City still won so they could go to Shakhtar they could do something completely different they could lose the game and it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world and I certainly don't expect City not to come through this group but um, are you now expecting a bigger reaction are you expecting I can't remember which one of you, I think it might have been you, Tony, who said you thought they'd lose at Shakhtar and then maybe beat Watford. So you you perhaps answered the question already, but are are you seeing a big reaction at Shakhtar and how important is that that happens? I'm a little bit worried about, I I think I'm on on Tony's side, I'm a little bit worried about this game midweek. And um, I think in terms of the way it's fallen, I'm probably glad that this is our first game and not our last game, which, which we might have needed some points from. So I think we can almost write this one off. Really, obviously, I'm sure they're going to go for a win, but I'm happy to write this one off. I, mean, I hope we win, but I just can't. for me, I would have loved the next game to be a Premier League game at home, and I would have had more confidence than going away in the Champions League because of the travelling, etc., and um, just being the Champions League again. Um, I think players have a different mentality when we're playing the Champions League as well in comparison to the Premier League. Um, and I think it was two seasons ago, was it, we lost when we went there in the group stages? They broke our run, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so 
Unfortunately, I think it'll be a draw or I can see them stealing it. Um, but I do think we'll be back to winning ways against Watford and we'll hit the ground running and potentially go on to do another run from there. And if you're sharing or retweeting the uh, the Forever Blue brand, then you could be in the Tunnel Club watching that comeback win against Watford. Could so be. make sure you do that. Go on, Harlan. Last word to yeah, you. Because we've not... Uh, played in the Champions League this season and obviously it's different competition we can't judge or, or predict how we're going to play I think we've just got to go over there to Ukraine and, and, and put the Norwich game out of our minds and approach it as a, a completely separate entity and hopefully we can come away with, with the three points you know we prove what we can do against Shakhtar last season different team different game all obviously you know we beat them 6-0 probably argue we were already through at that moment in time I think we can beat them I hope we can beat them. And in the words of Rodri, I hope that we kill them. Not literally, of course. No, not literally, of course. <laughs> I would never promote violence on any scale. All I can say is that I will be setting off to Ukraine um, tomorrow evening, Monday. Don't expect to get back till Friday. So it's going to be a, a real tough one for the uh, for the diehards. There's no official trip going, which I'm very surprised at um, there's from no the club. There's no plans to kind of this year, is there? Yeah, well, I suppose it's in the holiday season. There's all sorts of issues why that might have happened. Uh, I know that the number of City fans out there will not be high, uh, but, of, of course, I'll be reporting on it and vlogging and all the rest of it and tell you what the experience was <laughs> like when I get back next week. Uh, thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk, who sponsor this podcast. Very, very appreciative of your support, guys. And in the same way, if you need some advice on mortgages or anything to do with housing, have a look at their website, charleslouis.co.uk. Dave is the man who runs uh, that, that company. Um, well, he, he might say, it's not me, it's my missus or something. But anyway, whoever runs it, I'll ask for Dave. He's a City fan and I'm sure he'll help you. Thanks very much to, to uh, the guys who are here today, particularly Tony, who's donated these two tickets for the Tunnel Club for the retweets and shares. Uh, and of course, uh, is one of the sponsors uh, of the, the vlogs that I do. So thanks very much, Tony, for that. Uh, and to the other two, Will and to Harlan for coming along and to Tameside Radio, where we record the podcast each week. Uh, thanks very much for your company. Uh, let's hope that by the time we regroup next week, we'll be talking about Sioux City victories. Thanks very much for your company. I like that one, Ian. Oh, oh yeah. That, uh, did that deliberately not. <laughs> See you next week. Oh.